The fight against critical race theory continues, and the push for people to teach critical race theory continues. When we were told critical race theory isn't real and isn't being taught. But now we've got the Air Force Academy, a professor who wants to ensure they're teaching critical race theory, how important it is to teach critical race theory, the history of racism that has shaped both foreign and domestic policy. This is far different than General Mark Milley. Miley, Milley, Milley, General Mark Milley. He found it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. I have no problem with you studying the theory like you study communism or other things. I have a problem with it being applied and being forced upon people as something of value. And that is now what you have Air Force professors discussing out loud. It helps students identify the structural racism and inequality that has been endemic in American society. And it provides methods for deconstructing oppressive beliefs, policies, and practices to find solutions that will lead to justice. I put forth to you that the people who teach critical race theory would not have a method that is actually valuable and works. I reject that they have the methods. Reject out of hand. Uh, buh, bye. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today is the name of the program. 833-468-8669. Got Tony. Good to be with you. Now General Milley has to ask himself, oh, wait, what's actually happening underneath my nose? Now, I'm going to get into more of this tomorrow. Just like I'm going to talk about these moms out of Ohio. Their kids were expelled from a private school because they pushed back on critical race theory. Private schools do this. Oh, oh, you, you have an issue with critical race theory. Oh, you must be racist. And I know parents who have been called racists because they oppose this. And the private schools all have the same response. Well, if you don't like it, you can leave. You just spent all this money. You, 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 you're, you're, you've supported this school. They move in this bigoted way. You say, hey, this is wrong, and they say you can leave. All you are is a check. Don't argue with them. They know best. These elitists. But this is happening everywhere. It's... This is a never-ending and requires parents to know that they're not alone when fighting back. They are right to be fighting back. There are millions of parents out there who say this is disgusting. And there are a lot of woke folk in positions of power. And this is how it went down. And parents should not feel bad about this because now that they're in on it. And what I mean is, there are parents who feel bad. How could, how could this have happened in our schools? We pay attention to our children's homework. How could this have happened? And the answer is we, we believed in, in educators and, and administrations to have our children's best interest at heart and teach them math and science. And we always wanted to teach them right for wrong and we're not racist. And then you saw, wait a second, what they're teaching is hate. And you stood up and you said, hey, this, is, this isn't right. And that's when you learned that you gave them way too much power. And they are not interested in education. They're interested in indoctrination. They are interested solely in power. And how dare you question their methods? They are outraged by it. 
outraged. So, you're not late. I mean, you could argue you're late to the party. I think it's just good that you're here. I think that's what matters. But we're going to dig into more of this tomorrow. Let me take you to part two of Donald Trump, president of the United States. Sorry, former president of the United States. Don't want to get anybody's hopes up. And no, he's not being reinstalled in August. Stop that craziness. You can't be reinstalled as president. It's not how it worked. We have no system for it. We have no methodology for it. Anybody who says otherwise is out of their mind. But he's suing Facebook and Twitter and Google. And he's making the argument that they do not deserve any of these protections. That they get these Section uh, 230 protections. Now, is this lawsuit going to go anywhere? I don't know. But he had a presser about it today. Now, I, I shared part one. Here's part two. We're going to make sure that the liability protections that they have under Section 230 is at a very minimum changed and maybe at a maximum taken away. The Supreme Court has made it exceedingly clear that Congress is not allowed to coerce private entities into doing what Congress does, and they're not allowed to do it. The lawful authority is just not there. They can't do it. They bully and they coerce. Yet that's exactly what's taking place every single day. It's a flagrant violation of the Constitution going on before our very eyes. And I hate to say this, but they do it with the Supreme Court, too. They play the refs. They play the refs. They talk about all sorts of things they're going to do to Supreme Court justices. We're going to impeach him. We're going to impeach him. We're going to impeach him. And then, lo and behold, all of a sudden, different decisions come out. Or... We're going to enlarge that court to a level that nobody can believe. We are going to take that court and we're going to enlarge it. We're going to, we're going to have 16. We're going to have 20. We're going to, I saw one the other day. We're going to have 24 justices. And I guess things happen because all of a sudden decisions come out. They play the ref. They play the ref better than Bobby Knight has ever played the ref. <laughs> And we can't let that happen, and hopefully our Supreme Court justices and other judges and justices, they stand up for our values. I I just got to interrupt really quick because the Bobby Knight reference is uh, Indiana, and I'm not an expert, but I I don't think Bobby Knight ever played the ref. I'm just saying you you threw it in there, uh, but... I'm not sure where it, it, it took anybody. People are gonna people are going to take note of that. Hoosiers are going to take note. And they don't let that happen. In addition, in recent years we have also seen increasing coordination between big tech giants and government agencies such as the Centers for Disease Control. Where so much was wrong, so many things could have been different, but big tech happened to choose the wrong side, and they banned the right side. For example, YouTube's policy explicitly forbids contradicting, quote, health authorities. You know the health authorities. Fortunately, I overrode the health authorities quite a bit. That was a lot of good decisions made. If I didn't, we would have been in much bigger trouble, like you see other countries right now are still in very, very big trouble. 
Through such coordination, the federal government has essentially deputized social media platforms to become the de facto censorship arm of the U.S. government, which is exactly what's happened. This was especially clear during the pandemic when social media giants began censoring information according to guidance by the CDC, which, as we now know, was very often incorrect or wrong. This censorship is yet another blatant violation of the Constitution. There's so many violations of our Constitution, and you'll see that in the suit, which will also be added to, because other things are happening on a daily basis that will be added as we go along. Consider just some of the information that has been censored in America over the past year. Until recently, Facebook had a policy to eliminate all posts, sharing evidence that the horrible virus emerged from China. They said it didn't emerge from the Chinese lab, Wuhan. Remember I said Wuhan, and it was like a bomb went up. Wuhan came from the Wuhan lab. Of course, there were body bags all outside the lab. Nobody ever mentions that. I wonder why. They said it came a thousand miles away from a bat or it came from another country. They tried to blame Italy. They tried to blame us. But they gave that one up. That was also misinformation. But then it was finally revealed that this was most likely the truth, that it came from the lab. And it was a small little story. But when I said it, it was like a weapon went off, a major weapon. I won't use the the word weapon because I never use the word nuclear. But we have to be careful with our leadership because if we don't have the proper leadership, we're in a very perilous state. So we don't use the word nuclear. I never use it, okay? Never use it. I never said it. That's called disinformation. Google and YouTube have deleted countless videos that dared to question the judgment of the World Health Organization, which has been wrong so often. It's been a really pipe organ for China, as most of you know. Calling those videos misinformation, including videos that consist of clear scientific fact. Doctors and medical groups have been barred from these platforms for posting about therapeutics such as hydroxychloroquine. Huh, that's a familiar name. Which now, most recent studies say, is effective in combating the virus. Three cents a pill, the drug companies don't like three cents a pill. Three cents a pill is what it costs. But recent studies have come out very strongly in favor. Twitter has censured users simply for using the term illegal alien, which it has labeled as hateful content and just taking you off for whatever reason. You have to see the sentence they took me off for. It's the most loving sentence. It's really amazing. They could have done better, because I've had a lot worse. I, mean, I couldn't believe that was the reason. That's, take a look at it. You know exactly the sentence I'm talking about. It's become very famous. People are saying, really? Even the other side said, really? I don't know the sentence. I don't actually... I. I I don't pay that much attention to, to, to his Twitter feed or to the nonsense of, uh, of Twitter in general. What is easy to understand is that Twitter is not invested in a fair game.
And it is obvious that they censor the political right and they do not censor the political left. It is obvious to anyone who is paying attention. Now, Trump did a fair amount of his Trumpisms there, but now let's get into the question of does any of this hold? Will any of this mean anything? Is there a lawsuit here that can change things? The answer is I don't know because I haven't read the lawsuit. Trump is suing, but I haven't read anything yet. I have no idea if we're going to look at this and say, oh, wait a second, there's something interesting here. But I think to to a, a more to more affect our conversation, it's a question of what do we want from these social media platforms and what do they get from us? If they get protections, legal protections from us, then they cannot silence us. And it is obvious that Jack Dorsey plays favorites. It's obvious that Google plays favorites. We know this. And one of the things we should do, whether it's on social media or otherwise, is be very clear that the people who work at Twitter are not necessarily moral, good, decent people. If they believe in in censorship, they're disgusting people. They were raised by terrible parents. They were they they, they were indoctrinated by horrible schools. When Charlie Munger, the partner of, of Warren Buffett, celebrates the communists as doing the right thing and silencing people and locking things down, we're not supposed to celebrate Charlie Munger. We're supposed to ask that 97-year-old buffoon what the hell he's talking about. What the hell are you talking about? All that money, all the greatness that America said, hey, you've got skill set, go out there and make it, and you're going to support communist actions and silencing people? What kind of sick thing is this? Well, what's the difference between Charlie Munger and his billions and somebody who's making six figures over there at Twitter? Nothing. They both suffer from the same disease of elitism that somehow they know best. And it's okay and proper and good to silence people because what they're saying is bad. To that, I celebrate the lawsuit. I haven't read it yet, though. So I should say I celebrate the concept of the lawsuit. I'm also seeing from people that it was uh, filed in the wrong jurisdiction. I, I just, so I, I don't know. Maybe there's going to be another suit and there's going to be another filing. I have no clue how this is going to go down. Uh, President Trump has not inspired me with his legal teams as of yet. Michael Cohen. Rudy Giuliani post his days in New York. And what, I don't know. I don't know about this. Then again, the left hasn't impressed me with their legal teams either. Remember when Michael Avenatti was the hero? I, maybe you should actually do some research on people before you let them, you know, represent you. But conceptually, uh, I'm down. Conceptually, I am absolutely down for making sure that Sundar Pichai and Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg understand that they're allowed to make the money. They're just not allowed to think of themselves as special to us. I'm Tony Katz. Whenever I see data 
graphs and and and, and uh, polling on on social media i'm like i don't know i don't know if if this is legit but it was a it's a fascinating little thread it's been shared and liked and i, I gotta dig into it but follow me here and tell me if you agree or disagree sharing share believing in god without a doubt is is the title of the of the in the infographic, do people believe in God? And what it shows is that millennials, the number has gone down greatly to the up from the upper fifty percent to below fifty percent. Gen Z, it has gone from fifty percent to just over thirty percent. The Boomers have gone from over sixty percent to they, they've trended down slightly. The silent, uh, as they call it, generation, also trended down slightly. Gen X, from 1988, under 60% to now over 60%. They've gone up. The only group to have gone up in a belief in God. Is that true? If you're in Gen X, you know somebody in Gen X, ask. Is that true? Could that have something to do with having children and wanting to pass certain things on? Could that have something to do with seeing a society that so has engaged concepts of nothingness and nihilism and that there's a realization that to connect to something is in and of itself valuable? What does a society look like that doesn't believe in anything? Well, it looks like so much of, of, of what we have, at least in, on, on a cultural level. I think it's a fascinating piece, but I don't I don't know if it's true. I, I guess I would argue anecdotally, in my life, I can say to you that the conversations I have with friends over a drink or over a cigar or, or what have you, have you, that brings up a concept of belief, that does happen often. I will say that. Very interesting. And I don't have the answer. I wonder where that data comes from. This is Tony Katz today. So in Joe Biden's world... Remember, we're not talking about Joe Biden's politics because people want you to believe that Joe Biden has always been this moderate. His history doesn't show that. His history shows that he's anything but a moderate, but yet we've been told and we've been sold on this story. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Great to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at uh, Tony Katz. Uh, yes, I, I, I am not suing the social media giants. President Trump, former President Trump, is we shared that you can make sure you get that on the podcast and we'll get more into breaking it down uh, tomorrow right now we have to deal with president biden's agenda look at the things that have been pushed and pressed in his world and ask yourself whether this is the work of a moderate Phil Kirpin joins us right now. He's the president of American Commitment. We often talk to Phil about uh, the data when it comes to COVID. He's extremely good at breaking down the numbers and what uh, they mean. But he is further breaking down when you take a look 
at what Biden is into. Tax hikes, power grabs in terms of regulatory power, uh, unions. As we said, it's it's a union love fest in this Biden uh, White House. Healthcare and labor, et cetera. Never mind just the spending. $12 trillion in spending thought about. We're dealing with somebody who is anything but a moderate. Phil Kirpin joins us right now. I don't know if you start at where you start with this that shows what kind of person we're dealing with, or maybe it's an all-inclusive approach. What got you into this place, and what is it that you're trying to share out with America on Biden's agenda? Well, Tony, first of all, thanks for having me on the show again. I, uh, you know, I got distracted. I think I got distracted by COVID and uh, the school closures and everything associated with that. And I had this sense that, well, you know, the most important thing is to focus on that because that uh, is the most immediate and, you know, kind of whatever else is going on can't be. And, and I really, I think, missed the scope of the extreme policies that are being pushed across the board uh, by this administration. And then I sort of started thinking, yeah, how many other people who normally would be lighting up the switchboard and sending letters every day and organizing their friends and doing all the stuff that was so successful in the first couple of years of the Obama administration are not doing those things to fight all of these left-wing policies because they too are distracted by COVID and their own concerns related to that and getting their kids back in school and everything related to that. And then it started to make me really concerned that if we don't kind of refocus and pay attention, we're going to lose enormous ground on every single policy issue that we care about uh, for lack of engagement. And, you know, you had a pretty good overview right there in the introduction, but basically every single area of policy that you want to talk about, they're sort of maxing out, pushing the most extreme thing you can think of, whether it's the 30 tax hikes in the Biden budget or the trillions in spending and all the inflation that's going to come with that, the anti-fossil fuel energy policies that have already driven gasoline prices up, you know, 56% over the past year, uh, the healthcare policies, which are very left and all directed towards eventually getting us into a government run plan, uh, or the labor policies, which as you mentioned, are, you know, so radical. I mean, this is a president who wants to ban state right to work laws and has a bill to do that that already passed the house. And so any area of policy you want to talk about, and they're just sort of maxing out with the most extreme far left stuff you could imagine well to the left of what we saw in the Obama years. And I think they're counting on uh, sort of the public being disengaged, uh, you know, to be able to kind of do as much, uh, you know, Obama talked about his radical transformation, all that kind of thing. Biden doesn't talk about it. He just does it. Biden doesn't talk about it. He just does it is absolutely correct. And the piece that you have goes back to to uh, mid-May, uh, a post-COVID call to stop Biden's bankrupt agenda. We have discussed a, a fair uh, amount of these. And when you talk about how the political left moves and operates, Michael Walsh, uh, the, the, the author, former uh, 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 music critic, refers to the fact that when it comes to the political left, they never stop, they never rest, they never sleep, they never quit. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, there that they they always have one more thing they always have one more plan and one of the questions i get asked very often is how are they always able to do this how many plans do they have how why is it that the political right always seems to be playing defense and they always seem to be playing outrageous offense and grab what they can well um 
I don't know what to say, except they're they're better prepared to wield government power uh, than we are because they believe in it. They aspire to it. They dream of it. You know, I think that um, most people on the right who get involved in politics do it sort of reluctantly because, uh, you know, they have some experience where government intrudes on their life or their business and they get angry about it and they want to do something to stop it. Uh, people on the left get involved in politics aspirationally because all of their hopes and dreams are, are bound up with, with government power and, and government action, government activism. And so they always have a long, lengthy list of things they hope and dream and wish to do when they have government power. And uh, I think that uh, the right is much more reactive because, you know, we prefer government that does less. And uh, just the, the, the nature of that uh, difference means they're always prepared with a laundry list of things to do. And uh, we're, we're kind of doing more cleanup uh, from the last time they were in power. Talking to Phil Kirpin, president of AmericanCommitment.org. In, in this piece, as you're writing about it and as we're discussing it, you, you do have this, this list of things that you're re- referring to. The bewildering array of misguided tax hikes, regulatory power grabs, corrupt union giveaways, and assault on constitutional rights advancing every day in Democrat-dominated Washington. Well, let's get into some specifics. Uh, tax hikes... Power, regulatory power grabs, corrupt union giveaways. Give me an example of each. Well, um, the tax hike that I find the most outrageous, uh, you know, sort of uh, a lot of people know about the corporate tax hike, which, you know, I guess the politics of that are more favorable than the economics. But, uh, you know, that, of course, will send businesses back out of the country and jobs back out of the country, reverse a lot of the uh, progress we made on that front. But the one that I find the most obnoxious that hasn't got a lot of attention is the second death tax uh, that President Biden is proposing. And this is the idea that there would be a capital gains tax assessed at death, uh, that in effect, death would be deemed a realization event for capital gains purposes. And so an asset that's inherited, whether it's land or equipment or a business or real estate or anything else, uh, the IRS would say you have to treat it as if that asset had been sold on the date of death. And, you know, if something's been in the family for 50 years, uh, you know, the capital gains basis has no inflation adjustment. And they'll, so they'll say, well, your farm was originally acquired for, you know, $12,000 and now it's worth $5 million. And now you owe capital gains tax on the difference. And, uh, and by the way, if you're over the estate tax threshold, you owe that also. And so it's a double death tax and uh, they've proposed uh doing it all the way down to $1 million. The estate tax exemption is $10 million, so basically sweeping up a lot of small businesses, family farms, ranches, and so forth uh, into sort of this second death tax. Uh, and at the same time, they want to substantially raise the capital gains rate. I find that uh, proposal pretty outrageous in the effect that it would have. And uh, so that's probably the worst of the tax proposals. And it's gotten almost no attention, uh, or very, you know, much less than it should, uh, I think, and especially given what the politics of the death tax have been in the past, the fact that we have a president who proposes a second one, while we keep the old one also, sort of in addition to uh, the, the death tax we already have, uh, I find that to, to be the, the most outrageous in, in sort of the tax category. Uh, in terms of regulatory uh, power grabs, 
Well, there are a few uh, that raise eyebrows. I think the effort to push the global warming agenda, not just at the EPA, but through the financial regulatory agencies is pretty outrageous. And they're going to they're pushing very hard at the SEC uh, to have sort of mandatory climate disclosures, which, of course, are going to be used you know, hand in glove with the activist groups to try to force higher energy prices and you know more subsidization of renewables kind of through the financial system and through the financial markets, uh, kind of sidestepping. The fact they haven't been able to advance that agenda, you know, in Congress, uh, where where you know people are politically accountable, and in terms of the the union giveaways, well, there there's some things certainly that are happening at the Department of Labor at, at the NLRB and and so forth, but the big one is the one that people really should be worried about, and that's this bill called the Pro Act, uh, which actually repeals all 27 state right to work laws in effect because it says that even if you have a state right to work law, you can be required to pay mandatory union dues, whether you like it or not, as a condition of employment. And so that essentially ends right to work nationally. And it also uh, forces gig workers, you know, people who are driving for Uber, Lyft or whatever, uh, or, or freelance writers or any kind of uh, freelance workers to be classified as employees. And they can be subject to unionization as well. It eliminates private ballot protections for union organizing. It's basically the you know, kind of the wet dream list of everything that the union bosses ever wanted to be able to sort of force more people into their membership and into paying union dues. And uh, that already passed the House. Uh, in the right. Senate, I mean, this is it. the PRO Act is 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 this payback. It's a hey, thanks for all your yeah. support. Here's what we're going to do to you. Keep you from being able the 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 American from being able to choose your course. This is exactly what we saw in California with AB5, putting an end to the gig economy, putting people yeah, it out nationalizes of business. that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Joe Manchin supports it. And so this is one of those bills that it's passed the House. It can't pass the Senate as long as the filibuster rule is in. But if they go ahead and kill the filibuster, this would pass. And so it sort of is on the margin, depending on what happens on the filibuster. But this now gets us into this reconciliation conversation, which is the way the Senate can pass legislation without the 60 vote threshold, without the idea of cloture to start a debate or to end a debate. They pass it as a budget line item. They can pass it with 51 votes or 50 plus the vice president as the tiebreaker of the things that you're discussing here. How many of these things can be done under this reconciliation guise, which is really Democrats saying we don't care about voters and don't care about Republicans. We want power and we'll exercise it at all costs. Well, all the tax hikes and all the spending can be done that way. Uh, The other policy changes, uh, probably not, but sometimes they figure out creative ways to write them that passes budget muster with the parliamentarian. So I don't want to say no chance. Uh, but it's hard. It's unlikely. But certainly all of the tax hikes, the 30 tax hikes in the Biden budget and all the trillions in spending could be passed that way if they can get to the 50 votes. Phil Kirpin, AmericanCommitment.org. Check out the piece from mid-May, a post-COVID call to stop Biden's bankrupt agenda at the American Spectator, Spectator.org. Phil, always a pleasure. There is more coming up. I'm Tony Kahn. Trump suing Zuckerberg and Dorsey. He's suing Facebook and Twitter and Google did the whole uh, presser 
I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna further break it down. I I, I I I am. I mean, even the the answering of questions. I mean, it was it was it was Trump being just perfectly perfectly Trump. He would be the most well known person in this country in the world. But the person that shot Ashley Babbitt, boom, right through the head, just boom. There was no reason for that. And why isn't that person being opened up? And why isn't that being studied? They've already written it off. They said that case is closed. If that were the opposite, that case would be going on for years and years. Which makes perfect sense to discuss when you're suing Facebook and Google and Twitter. Matt, Trump is Trump is Trump. Uh, Producer Ari was was recording the 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 uh, an announcement, uh, the right the press conference where President Trump was was saying uh, was suing, and he's like, I- I'm reminded of why I hate Trump. And Ari, man, this is why people love him, love him. Like it was a, it was a full hour. He said, I'm suing, and now you got questions, I'll answer the questions. Oh, look, I got a team of lawyers, I'll let them answer the questions. When's the last time you saw this from Joe Biden? Honestly, that's what you're looking at here. He, he, he's there, he's, he's got, it says the office of Donald J. Trump. Uh, and and he's there, and he's, he's, in, the, he's in the suit, and he's got this, this team of people behind him, mostly women. And he's adds one question after another. Boom, bada boom, bada boom, bada boom, bada boom. No fear. You think this is the reminder of, oh, good thing I voted for Biden. No, this is the, oh my gosh, Joe Biden couldn't do this if his life depended on it. Joe Biden couldn't do this if his life depended on it. There, there was this. Uh, did you not catch this? Biden was asked at the end of, of a presser about the, the Russian cyber attacks. Did you, did you catch this? He's asked about the Russian cyber attacks, and he has to read off of his note cards. He read off of his note cards. Mr. President, on the latest ransomware attack, can you tell us if you believe that rises to the level of U.S. retaliation? I can tell you a couple things. I received an update from my national security team this morning. It appears he was walking away, so they clearly dropped his, his, his microphone. But he had to open up his notes and read off of his, his card. Now, look, I don't mind if you've got certain facts that you want to get to certain things. You, you, you want to make sure you have that in front of you. I, I don't mind that. I have zero issue with that. But so we are clear. Compare the two and ask me who is more capable and prepared and ready. It's, this isn't a debate. This is absolutely not a debate. Trump is still totally prepared and that's the reminder that's that's the reminder uh one one quick reminder from me act right on a plane there's this story about how there are more and more fines coming for people who aren't acting right on an airplane 
And two passengers aboard an Indianapolis flight uh, got fined a combined $28,500. And you take a look at the amount of unruly uh, travelers, $682,000 in fines so far this year. No, no, don't find them. Keep them off planes. You don't want to wear a mask? I don't want to wear a mask. It's wrong. But I agreed to get on the plane, and I don't have to get on a plane. If you've got some kind of health issue... You're going to have to deal with the with uh, the FAA, and you're going to have to deal with the airline about that. But if you act a fool on a plane, you don't get to fly anymore, because I don't want to be around it. I got rules on a plane, guys. This is not me saying you, you can't fight the masks. You can. But don't be screaming at a flight attendant on a plane. Don't be starting fights. Don't be drinking too much. And stop wearing your pajamas on a plane. <laughs> I'm Tony Katz.